Welcome to Naffy Break. I'm Dominic O'Sullivan and after 15 years as a physical training instructor in the Air Force, I transitioned from one career into a new career where I had to prove myself all over again to a new audience. I learned a lot of lessons along the way and looking back on it, there's a lot of things I wish I'd done before I'd left in preparation for that change. Through these podcasts, I hope to shine a light on some of the people that I know who've made a successful transition from the military and provide a little bit of insight, some inspiration and a little bit of that forces humour along the way. What I've learnt so far in series one by talking to various people on the podcast is that there is no one route from the military to a successful career. The definition of success for the people who've left the service can be very different. Some swap the security of the military for the cut and thrust of entrepreneurship and setting up their own business. Others will change one uniform for another and continue that service of others. Today, I want to introduce you to Dean Gray. Dean is now a project IT manager and it's a far cry from what he was doing when he was in the military. What I love about Dean's story is his willingness to go the extra mile to get that interview, to get that job way back at the start of his civilian career. I've known Dean for over 20 years and I've watched his growth and development with great interest. I hope you'll enjoy today's pod and I hope that somewhere along the line you'll recognise some skills and some traits that our servicemen have to offer to new civilian employers in their second career. So I'm really glad to welcome Dean Gray. Hi there, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Uh, Dean, thanks for giving up the time to, uh, to jump on the pod today. Uh, I'm, re- I'm really looking forward to kind of recap on some of the some of your time in the in the service, and obviously I'll let the let the listeners know we do know each other from uh, from a past life in the service. I seem to remember us jumping over boxes in a in a gymnasium to try and make us better rugby players at one point. Some plyometric training, which was uh, which was quite fun, and um, uh, and now we seem to be pushing each other up uh, up mountains on bikes. Uh, just just continuing that sort of theme. So um, yeah, there's a lot of lot of things happened in between those two points. All good. All good okay, so Dean, uh, tell me uh, and tell the, the listeners on the pod if you could. What what was the uh, the catalyst for you joining the uh, joining the military and specifically into the uh, RAF regiment? Dad had done national service, but had to leave the RAF. He loved the RAF and wanted to stay in, but he's my granddad had a farm, so he had to come out and help him during when national service was still in the fifties. His two brothers, my two uncles, they were lifers in the RAF. They both did. 30 plus years in the engineering and administration branches. Uh, my brother joined up, so my, I've got two brothers and a sister. One of my brothers joined up uh, in 82. Uh, and I'd always wanted to join. I think, you know, with that family background and my brother and, you know, the sort of history of it, I'd always wanted to join. I do remember careers office, not careers office, careers thing when you go to secondary school and teachers write and say, write what you want to do and I put RAF. So I'd always wanted to join and then joined the ATC at 13, I think it was. I'd been in the Cubs, joined the ATC because I didn't want to go to the Scouts. 
uh, and met loads of great people in the ATC, did loads of great fun stuff. Friends for Life, I still keep in touch with people that I was in from 13 to 17 and a half. And then when I went to apply for the RAF when I was 17, two of my mates from the Air Training Corps, actually ATC, had joined up about six months and a year before, and they'd went into the regiment. And I kind of followed them in really much to my parents probably worry. I wouldn't say annoyance. They never showed it. <laughs> parents worry. I think they wanted me to join up with something else. But I kind of followed two of my mates into the regiment, really. Oh, brilliant. So um, tours that you had uh, as an RAF regiment, gonna just just fly off some of the some of the places you ended up being so when, posted or stationed. Yeah, when, when first joined up, <clears throat> do basic training and then trade training. And then I think when the first couple of months I was based in Lossiemouth at the top of Scotland, we went to Denmark, I think, when I was just turned 18, actually, was, which was first sort of place I'd ever been really <laughs> outside of Scotland we weren't well traveled as a family I don't think we were kids so yeah I went to Denmark and then we I was on a unit that used to rotate through the Falklands and Belize so I did tours of Falklands Belize we went to Gibraltar we obviously went in lots of exercises around the UK uh, adventure training in Germany and stuff like that you know so that was the first four years but then I changed units after four years and then the, the next unit I went on to two squadron, which was a parachuting unit. We used to travel quite a lot. So we went to the US, Canada, uh, Bosnia, Northern Ireland, Cyprus. Uh, so from a, a Scottish Scottish lad who joins up at eighteen, not travelled a great deal, yeah. and, and could have met, could have maybe got pulled into the kind of family, the family farm, is it, or and that kind of background. All of a sudden, we're travelling the world, yeah. sending postcards home from from all over. Yeah, pretty much. Phoning my so mum from a ferry and on the way back from Denmark or, <laughs> or in the jungle in Belize. She used to get random phone calls from me from all over the world. <laughs> and that wasn't so easy to make phone calls from overseas in those no. days. I suppose that was the days of phone cards and stuff as well, wasn't it? It was, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah she got some phone so calls out, from random locations. <laughs> so out of all the tours, you know, through your time in a service, what, what was the highlight for you? Which was the... Obviously, it was a positive environment. You're in a great place, but what what kind of took you to the point of going? Actually, I'm going to go and I'm going to go and look for the next thing. I think I was in the, during a time where <clears throat> there was no promotion, so you know, various defence cuts during the late '80s, early '90s. Uh, you know, when I joined up, say there was four promotion courses a year, but then soon after, within a year or two, there was probably one, and I think the last three or four years between probably 93 and 97 there was maybe as I recall even though, it was, even though it was almost 25 years ago I remember only being maybe one two promotion courses at the most so you still had you know 50 to 100,000 people in the regiment at that time and so many people trying to get promoted so there was just no promotion uh, that was one of the it was probably half a dozen reasons really I think but no promotion we were going away quite a lot and I was getting older and maybe just was ready to do something else, I think. I don't know. I'm not a fatalist, but maybe there was just something leading me to get out, I think. Because it, it sounds like there's a couple of things in there. And, you know, one of them is the, the opportunity to get promoted. The odds are, you know, getting slimmer because there, yeah. there's fewer opportunities. You're getting a little bit older. Maybe your, you know, not so much values, but your aspirations and your expectations for what, what happens next are changing. You're not the same as the 17-year-old that joined up. You're a little mm. bit older. You want slightly different things. Mm. So quite a you know, big decision to go, okay, here's the next thing. What, how far or how far in advance of that decision 
to actually say I'm putting my papers in to to leave how far in advance did you start to kind of prepare and think right for when I get out maybe I want to start getting ready courses or something like that did you did you think about it from a long way out at least two years from then I I was starting to prepare for that through resettlement could could you could you have applied to stay at that point rather than just kind of say yeah I'm going to finish at that two-year point was there an option for you to extend I I never once crossed my mind to go and try and sign on or stay in until, I mean, I can come on to that, but until I did a couple of weeks before I was due to get out, I think I didn't have, no, in fact, a bit more than that, actually. I didn't actually have a job to go to, and I went back to my unit to hand all my kit in, and I'd I'd kind of talked to one of the officers in the squadron and said, oh, what's, what's the what's the story what, what if I decided actually to change my mind and stay in and he says oh I'm not really sure if that's an option or not sort of thing so it never and it, it was a half-hearted really it was it wasn't a desperation thing but it crossed my mind because I didn't have a job to go to so I wasn't panicked I was keeping my options open but well, in hindsight it wasn't it wasn't meant were you were you comfortable with going were you get was there a little bit of doubt or a little bit of you know self-doubt or nerves at that point they say with no job to go to I mean it's yeah, it's a big decision. What was what was your mindset on that? Uh, I think at the time, even though you know it's quite a long time ago now, I think at the time I was probably apprehensive. But then it ended up, you know, I kind of I got the I got a I got a, my first role when I left, not long afterwards actually. But I think it was maybe I think when I went down to it was a couple of months before I was due to go out, so I was on what they call as you know terminal leave. So I effectively had the last few months off looking for work and I was based in North Yorkshire at the time looking for work up there but there wasn't much around really in what I was trying to get into in IT so it it wasn't it did I did broach the subject but there was no way that I really would have wanted to stay in really there was no it wasn't me I was you know I was due to get out and wanted to get out really. Uh, I know people outside will sometimes look at the service service you know personnel coming out and look at the job that they did and maybe like you know the paras or infantry or whatever and say okay what kind of job are these guys going to do when when they come out mm-hmm. and and you made the leap and we're going back you know a little bit of time now where it prob i'm gonna say maybe wasn't but maybe wasn't as mainstream or as you know oh, as no. many positions as there are now we're obviously you know digital's an explosion isn't it but mm. so what was the you know the path that you took how, how did how did that come back you said you got your first job not long after going but how did how did you find that you know that transition or how did you find that job yeah i mean before i got out i went and i went i was actually in northern ireland and one of my mates was <clears throat> was getting out at the same time and he i went across the block to see him i remember going and seeing him and he had a lot of books and stuff about uh, fiber optics and data comms courses in in in, in england but with, this was all resettlement stuff that he picked up from the whatever the learning center or whatever it was called when i can't even remember at the time and <clears throat> i looked through it with him looked at the courses of what to do worked out like there was this two-week course in east anglia you got a two-week work placement so we both booked on at different times but we both booked on it so i went and did that course as a resettlement course and parallel to that did some you know I did, I, nobody had computers then. the other time you ever got no computer was when you're on gate guard when you used to play solitaire i think but <laughs> yeah you i went and did some word courses excel like one day courses and everything as part of that so you got a certificate so basic computer use uh so i prepared for it by doing lots of stuff like that and then uh went and did the course went into the work placement which was actually up in the northeast uh with this company doing fiber optics type stuff and then and then 
look for work thereafter really effectively you know so how how did you find you were received in the you know when you're looking at job uh, looking for jobs outside obviously you probably put your first cv together because mm. uh, you've not needed one in the, in the service for some time so you're now going searching what what how is the interview process and that kind of stuff go were you did you go through lots of kind of rejections or was it fairly easy for you I actually didn't go through. I went through that, and what happened was that the course I did was a four-week course and two-week work placement, as I mentioned earlier. And the fiber optics and data comms course we did was—they said it was seventy-five percent guaranteed of getting a job. And I actually we got out at the wrong time to get into that in that part of the industry, but didn't actually get a job with them. So that's when I started to not panic because I, I never think that I panic about stuff. I was like to then work out what I'm going to do next. So I didn't get the, the break with the placement to get a job up there because there was quite a few guys that didn't have a place. But I didn't, I think I might have been one interview, I think, bar the other one that I got from the, the, the first job when I left effectively. What, what do you think sort of set you apart or got you the job? Was there anything about you, you know, the, the skills or the traits that you had from the service that that those employers or that employer at the time thought that's what I'm looking for or how did that, yeah. how did you find that? Yeah. When, so when I, when I left, what happened was that uh, <laughs> I was sat at home one day and I know that channel four had an IT uh, like whatever the equivalent of CFAX was in channel four. They had a, a job. Well, you blast from, blast from the past there, Dean. People know, listening yeah. to this won't, won't, <laughs> half of them won't know what we're on about. Yeah. Yeah, CFAX, yeah. <laughs> and the uh, Channel 4 had an equivalent. I had an IT job website on it, basically. So you had to wait and the pages scrolled through. And, uh, there, was this, there was this agency called IBNX, IBNX, and they had some jobs in there, and you had to take their number and fax through. Faxes still do exist, actually. <laughs> some of that I work with still have fax system. You, wow. had to you had to fax through your CV to them, so fax through a CV to them, and then they phoned me up, and they said, oh, yeah, we've got this guy who's looked at your CV. He wants somebody from a military background who's disciplined because he wants someone to document and tidy up his data center Ford Motor Company <laughs> down in Essex. And I'm like, oh, right, okay, then, right, okay. He said, uh, he said, oh, he'll... He said he can. He, he said he can come and meet you. He said he can meet you at Leicester Forest Services. I was like, oh no, I'll come down and meet him. And, he, and the agency went back to the guy and he says, oh, the only time is available nine o'clock tomorrow morning. And I was like, yeah, I'll be there. This was like, say, this was a Tuesday afternoon or something. So I took this the only suit I had at the time, I think, and drove down to Essex. Worked out where the interview was. Uh, where were you? Where were you living at the time? You went to Essex from where? North Yorkshire, Lehman, so RAF Lehman. <laughs> okay. So you got about a four and a half hour drive at least yeah. to get down there. Yeah, so drove down, slept in the Dartford Crossing Truckers Park in the car from about, I don't know, 11 o'clock to about four or five in the morning, got up and had a had a wash and put my suit on next to all the truckers and that, looking at me funny as I got put my suit and tie and everything <laughs> on, drove up because it's Dartford Tunnel to Brentwood, not that far, drove up and I had a bit of breakfast and a coffee and met Arthur who was the data center Ford manager basically and interviewed me and it was more a conversation of, uh, you know, offered me the job, but also he was a big golfer and at the bottom of my CV, I had that I'd been like an assistant professional golfer. So he, he talked about golf mostly, but <laughs> ultimately he wanted somebody that was from a disciplined background and would document a data center, tidy everything up, knew, known I was ex-military, there were skills that he wanted. 
and he offered me a job there and then, and it was it was double my money actually that I was earning as an RAF. So it was obviously not going to turn it down as a first job. So massive thing there in terms of your your willingness and preparedness to kind of go, yep, nine o'clock tomorrow morning, not a problem. Yeah. But as far as he's concerned, you've made a real effort to get down yeah. to him straight yeah. away. He's thinking this guy's on the money. He's, yeah. You know, talk about the discipline and the self organisation and all those kind of skills that. In, in fairness, you probably took for granted at the time. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think he kind of realised that, you know, whether, you know, he, he wanted somebody from that discipline background, but the commitment was there, I think, sort of thing. And as I said, he, the conversation, it was never really an interview. He basically was offering a job there and then. And he, I was like, oh, no, no, I'm quite happy to accept. Because he, he told me, like, the, it was a contracting role. So I'd, you know, I'd worked out how much I was on when I was in the RAF and how much he was offering them. My mental maths is quite good. And I was like, <laughs> Yeah, that's what we're running in the mud now. So I was like, yeah, yeah, I can accept. He was like, no, go away and think about it. Go away and think about it. <laughs> the agency, I phoned the agency. I was like, yeah, I think I'd like to accept that job, please. Was that a bit of a springboard then in terms of, you know, a career path and in terms of the IT world, yeah. I suppose, and in yeah. terms of where you are now, you know, is there a yeah. is there a fair, fairly linear path from that point to yeah. where you are now? Or if you, you know, that, that sounds like that's a great, that's a great catalyst from that point onwards. Yeah. No, that is a start point and the trajectory's just carried on, I think, since then, really, in the sense of, you know, got in there, I was in Ford Motor Company's main data centre in Europe, sat next to these network engineers. I was I was documenting their mess, basically, and, uh, you know, the state that their data centre was in, tidying up cabling and coming in at night and doing some nights and stuff, and then coming in, uh, doing some days, and they were quite happy because they could see the work I was doing. Then I'd ask them what they were doing they were going up to floors and fixing faults and then obviously remote remoting into different networks and fixing them and i was sat next to them i'd go come on in show me what you're doing so they'd show me what they were doing and then after a few weeks they gave me a few books and then within about six months i'd kind of started to learn some of the stuff they were doing you know as i maintain i you know get it wrong 10 times but then start to get it right and then get it right get it right get it wrong and then you start to learn and then i think within about Less than 18 months, I got taken on permanently and given, it, I mean, this is 1998, 99, I think. So I got taken on permanently and got given 10 grand's worth of training. So then got my first certification, which is Cisco, which is still a big global sort of network company. This is like 99, 2000. So I got first certification. A couple of years later, I got my next one and then just kind of worked my way up. And at the time, Ford owned everybody you know they owned Volvo, Aston Martin, Jaguar, Land Rover all of those so I, and I was based up in not that far from the Midlands so I was kind of their man in the Midlands effectively so. So how, how do you view yourself now looking at early part of your career what what was the thing that got you on to, to where you are now do you think? I think uh, it's quite funny actually because I think I, I maintain that every day is a school day I take lessons from previous, I do obviously, we'll come on to it, maybe project management now, but I take lessons from projects I did last year into projects I'm doing now. You know, projects I did five years ago will take things into them doing now. If someone, you know, you come across somebody and they have somebody that's something that's a good practice, then you adopt it, that sort of thing, you know. I just think that it's quite funny. When I, my, the, one of the jobs I'm doing at the minute, the project that I'm managing at the minute, the interview was one of the bullet points from the law firm was, uh, determination to with a propensity to succeed and the last question he asked me in the interview was how do you describe yourself and I said it's probably that last bullet point in your job spec 
which is something like it was something like keen and conscientious with a propensity to succeed as in like a drive to succeed not not be successful but that drive to succeed as a project manager so i think it was the same then that you just want to do a right the right job and do it well and you know i think that stands you in good stead effectively you know so i think yeah. i started off then that doesn't mean that you you have lows in that 20 odd years i've been in it but you you still have a will to succeed. You enjoy what you do. Be happy. Money, money's not really the thing. It's more, I'd rather have the job satisfaction, enjoying what I do, and being happy in what I do. And the rest comes with it. I think. Sounds like you're right back on two squadron then. Yeah. Like yeah. I mean, obviously that you know to get through the training and the stresses you had to to achieve, and it was mm. quite sought after. You yeah. drive to kind of get through that to yeah. get into a position that you you enjoy doing the job satisfaction. That's exactly what you said earlier on. I think yeah. about being on two squadrons so so now we get to these you know we, we start getting promoted we start getting accelerations within the career and and now as you've as you've mentioned you're on to the the project management mm. side of things what are the what do you think are the main things you know someone else is in the service now looking at what am i going to do next or you know they've even come out and they're still not quite sure yeah what, what would you, what would you be saying to them to kind of say look you know look forward what what's what's the what's the nuggets from dean gray Think coming yeah. from military background, some of the qualities really should be that you're disciplined, you're hardworking, you're you're proud to serve when you're in the forces. You should be proud to do the job you're doing when you're outside as well. So I think those qualities stand you hugely in good stead. I've spoken to a few people recently, and one of the things that comes out from that is they they won't lower their standards. You know, they come out of the military with you know in their mind, I I've set my standards and I'm not allowing those to be to be lowered and it would be quite easy to settle down at other people's level but by keeping them there Mm. you then stand out certainly Mm. to people managing you or employing you they see that no no this we can rely on this guy to maintain the standards we we want so that, that sounds like that's pretty ingrained in you it does but you do have to there is there is flexibility in that because you have to appreciate that not everybody's (laughs) <laughs> that doesn't mean that I don't you know, make mistakes because everybody's human or it doesn't mean that you have lows in the battle from enthusiasm and, because no, one, no one's up at that level you know, every minute of every hour of every day sort of thing. But I think when you work with different people, you've got to, especially when you do project management because you're working with you know, a various range of people. You know, this last year, obviously, it's a completely different set of skills than it was before because you're doing a lot of stuff remotely and for various reasons you have to adopt and change and stuff like that. But I think it, it does stand you in good stead, but there's a certain amount of flexibility has to come in because of the people you're dealing with, you know. And I, I, even though I've been out for 24 years, you know, I only did 10 years, military people are definitely different to civvies, you know, when there has been in the past an impression of service people leaving that they're very regimented, very kind of almost indoctrinated or, you know, institutionalized. Yeah. To a point. And, and I'm you know, sure we could probably quote examples of people we, we yeah, know. Of what, what would you, what would you say to people who are, you know, they've ultimately come to the end of the 22 and they are looking at a career outside. How do, how do they get prepared to, 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 for that environment, for that new environment that's maybe not as, you know, cut and dried as it was when they were in. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's maybe a different world to when I left in the sense that the military is a bit more, well, I don't know, I mean, I'd probably stand corrected, but the impression I get is that the military is a bit more civilianised than it was in the 80s and 90s. I think in the 80s and 90s, if you came out after doing 
22, 30 years, then you would be more institutionalised maybe than you would be coming out now, I think, because of the the leaning towards it being slightly more civilianised and look, looking outside, then you're not in that same bubble. I think I think when if, if you're coming out and, you know, to prepare yourself for coming out, it's just a case of realising that you're not in the military anymore and the world is a different place, but and being open-minded about it because... You know, it's not it's not a scary world, and obviously I've been out a long time, and I was only in for ten years. But there's there are opportunities for everybody out there, I think. So we've, I mean, we've we've all been out, you know, a little bit of time now, and we've kind of fortunate enough to have kind of found our feet outside. Do you think? Do you think Dean Gray found his his better environment once he left the service, or do you think the service didn't get the best out of Dean Gray? Which I don't think I was destined to do more than 10 or 12 years. If I could have done 12, maybe I wasn't destined to do 22. I don't think, I think I was, I don't think I was destined to be told what to do for 22 years. I think for various reasons, <laughs> you know, coming out, maybe all right, I've, only, I've done project management now for about the last 15, 16 years. But I think, I think to a certain extent, I've woven different path into leadership or management effectively that I might not have got yeah. in if I'd stayed in the air force because it, that path wouldn't have existed. You know, but I, I look at that as a, I look at that as a positive. So rather than kind yeah. of stay in, stay into 22 years when you, you're, you're square peg round hole or it's just doesn't yeah. feel right. And you're just hanging on because there's mm. a big pension at the end is to make the decision. Yeah. Yeah. And make the big you know decisions go, do you know what? Actually, I've learned from that. I've gained from being in, but mm. but now there's going to be something else, and mm. you know, let's see where that takes us. So, oh, yeah. I, I think that's a that's a really good thing. So, you know, looking back on it, um, just a couple of quick fire ones. Best best thing that best achievement in the time that you were in the service. What would you put that down as? Oh, I think well, my whole time on two squadron as a whole, I think, but. Passing, passing pre-para, I think, was a big achievement. But they, my whole time, I think, because that was just one event. My whole time on two squadron, being at Catrick and Honington, and where we went, all right, we had we had some jobs that were rubbish. But I think that whole four years, I look back on with great fondness. You know, with the, the characters, the camaraderie, the way we looked after each other. You know, as you, you know, we played rugby at Thetford, the people we met there, which was which was actually good preparation for getting out because it was a civilian rugby club and made loads of great friends there. And that time in was a good time, I think. Dean, listen, I could uh, I could let this roll on for for hours, but the rule of the pod was it should last as long as a, a cup of coffee. So I think um, I think I'm sipping at uh, the last cold dregs now of my uh, coffee. But listen, great. Listen, thanks for giving us uh, your time and some thoughts and reflections on, on your time in the city. Yeah, okay, listen, Dean, thanks for your time, mate. All right, cheers. We'll catch you up soon. Thanks. Cheers, mate. Bye. Bye.